We're throwing off the filters of tradition and culture to discover what the Bible really says about our relationships, relationships with God, with ourselves, and with others. Welcome to this episode of Relationship Truth Unfiltered. Well, welcome to Relationship Truth Unfiltered. And today we have a very special guest. Jen Cole is a member of my team. She's one of our coaches and she specializes in betrayal trauma. She's an ICF certified coach. She's a registered nurse. She's a mom. She's a grandma. She's a great woman. And probably the most thing she's proud of is she's a Canadian. (laughs) Welcome, Jen. I'm so glad you're here. Um, Thank you so much for having me. How did you get interested in working specifically more with this whole topic of betrayal trauma? Well, I have to give credit to this quote to one of my mentors, Barb Steffens, Dr. Barb Steffens, and I have to say it found me. It found me. But I took everything that I had learned and embraced as a nurse for the 20 years prior to this finding me and took my desire for counseling, teaching, embracing change was a lot of the work I did in the government prior to uh, switching into this type of work. And it was just, uh, it came from personal circumstances, but it was very much almost, if I dare say, an easy transition for me to make. And it's my heart. It was God revealing to me that I was capable of doing this work and that he, you know, led me through not only my own healing, but a way to speak and embrace other women that are going through the same thing. So let's dive right into it. What is betrayal trauma? Because I think, you know, we label different words, oh, he's a narcissist or, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm OCD, but we don't really define those terms. And I think it's really helpful because these labels that we give things are just as, you know, a compilation of descriptors. And so what is betrayal trauma and how would someone know if they're in it? Yeah, I thank you so much for saying that because as a nurse, I do appreciate labels and diagnoses, but only so far as they go to give us clues as to what a care plan or a treatment plan might be. But I don't like them in terms of judging or boxing someone in. So I really, really appreciate what you just said there. As far as like defining betrayal trauma, I think if I can start by, you know, just reminding people that we hear a lot about post-traumatic stress syndrome these days, more than I think we used to, uh, PTSD for short. And we often recognize that as a, maybe someone witnessing a tragedy, um, a one-time thing. We think of first responders, we think of our military uh, witnessing very, or experiencing very life and death very true life and death situations. Well, research started to show that as women either um, suddenly discovered that their partner was maybe being unfaithful, cheating, watching pornography, that sort of thing that went against their own values, they immediately started getting labeled as codependent or borderline personality disorder, or all these things that suggested something was wrong with them, and they somehow magically chose this person. But as research developed, they recognized that uh, women were showing signs of actual trauma, just like we hear about PTSD. So it's everything from a hyperactive nervous system where you're easily startled, you wake up with uh, nightmares, sometimes even night terrors, your physiological um, system can change. So your blood pressure goes up, your heart races, you get triggers, sometimes panic attacks. And none of these things may to you feel like they're directly associated to something you've just uncovered, or maybe are 
experiencing and you don't even know your reality just yet, they can just happen out of the blue. They're often you feel out of control um, because it's it's just your body and your mind trying to protect you from everything that's going on. So when it's betrayal trauma, it's whatever you feel is betrayal and then how you how it surfaces and you can can change and be a variety of symptoms. But it's a very real thing. And I want our listeners to know that it is very real. It is not made up. And when you experience those both mental and physical bizarre symptoms, it's really happening to you. Yeah, let's unpack that some more because I think we have two words here. One is betrayal and one is trauma. Mm -hmm. And I think I'd like to just focus a bit on the word betrayal because I think that is such an important piece of this. Um, When you trust someone, you trust them to do you good, not harm all the days of your life. You married someone because you trust them. You don't marry people you don't trust. So you married someone because you trusted that they would be faithful and honest and you know love you and, and care for you and not harm you in physical, abusive, sexual, financial ways. And when you find out that that's not true, when that trust has been broken, and I think betrayal trauma has sort of been segued into the whole sexual betrayal trauma area, but there's betrayal trauma in a financial area too. Mm -hmm. There's lots of times when you find out that your husband has taken out huge amounts of debt on your credit card or huge amounts of loans that you didn't know about. And so when you're betrayed in the very core of that relationship and you start to feel a little crazy because not only is the relationship itself shattered, but your picture of him is shattered. But not only that, your picture of yourself is shattered because it's like, what's wrong with me that I trusted him or that I didn't see this or that I never knew this or that I trusted this kind of person. And so now we don't even trust ourselves. So it really is a compilation of all these things, both the betrayal and the loss of trust in three areas and then how that affects Mm -hmm. body, mind or spirit. And that's the trauma. Yeah. Yeah. I think you've just nailed it. The betrayal can come from anywhere. And then the the associated trauma comes from that seemingly it feels like life or death because you've suddenly been exposed most often suddenly, but sometimes we call it also complex trauma where it's just a buildup over time. And you sometimes don't even realize it's happening um, like that frog in the boiling water kind of idea. But that betrayal, like you said, can come from a variety of ways. And it is, I hear women say this all the time. It's almost like we sing from the same songbook, but I hear women say it's, I woke up to a stranger. So can you imagine whether you've been married, it's you're on your honeymoon or you've been married 35 years and that feeling of waking up to a stranger, you can you imagine actually waking up and there's this completely different person in your bed? Of course you'd be alarmed. Of course, you jump right out of bed. Of course, you'd be panicked. Of course, you'd be wondering if your life was in danger. It's no different from these women who no longer know what their reality is or was. And I liken it to um, all of a sudden your everything in your filing cabinet, you know, that's in your brain and in your heart suddenly gets dumped onto the floor. And now you're left picking up every single file to double check where that does that go back? Was this real? 
did this really happen to me? Was he really present when our kids had this, our sixth, you know, their sixth birthday? Was he doing whatever behind my back as I was delivering our children? Oh my gosh, I can't believe the bank literally just knocked on my door and said they're foreclosing on my house. I've had women talk about that. So, you know, it's all of those things that really speak to any level of betrayal and then switching over to the trauma is where you do, you have that real right to think that your, your life could be in danger. And when we do talk about the sexual thing, it can often be STDs where you might not know. So, and some of them can be a little more lead to more life-threatening types of conditions. And Leslie, at the risk of being dramatic, or, and I, this is unfortunately the truth, there can be life or death consequences when there are affairs and other people get involved. And we've heard of tragedies of people taking action into their own hands to a point of something lethal. So there is very much a reason to um, feel like it's a life or death situation, which was one of the original definitions of trauma. So when you're in that place, not only do you not know him anymore, but you don't even know yourself anymore because not, you're not so usually. scrambled inside, like that file cabinet just got dumped. Yeah. And so all the little categories that you had in your brain and your body for safety and for trust and what's real and what's not real and what's true and what's not true is like a file cabinet that's been upended with a million papers in your spirit and your body and your soul and your mind. And you don't have the strength now to sort them out. And so it's really, really important that we understand if you're in that place and listeners, if you're in that place, we really want to help you. But here's where we make a big mistake, especially as Christians. As Christians, we immediately think when this happens, oh no, how do I get him to stop? Or how do I save my marriage? But what might be a better question, Jen, for someone who's right in that ugh, initial, my life has turned upside down with a betrayal, Mm -hmm. What might be a better question to ask oneself or even others? At first thought, best thought is what I always say. And when you ask me that is what do I need right now to feel safe? For me. For me. What do I need to feel safe? That's it. And then we go from there. The next question quickly, I don't even know if I put them on the same level is what do I have the right to? Hmm because we often forget. So again, talking about that complex sort of trauma where it's built up over time, we often get lost in uh, what we think we have the right to. I mean, Leslie, you and I have encountered so many women over the years that it, it's almost like the light just dawns that, oh my gosh, that's abusive, really? What I've been experiencing for 15 years is actually destructive because it's just not obvious to her for whatever reason, right? Because you either become used to it or you're just, you just, you've been in denial or whatever. And this just allows us to step back and go, wait a second time out here. What do I have the right to? What do I desire? What does God promise for me in a healthy marriage? And, and really step back and look at that. And I think that question, what matters most right now? And you said my safety, that's really important. You're and, and I'm going to make that a little bit bigger. Safety is the first component of it, but your self-care is the yes. most important right now, because mm -hmm. if you don't take care of you, there is no way you can address a problem. And so the problem is out there, him and his sex addict, financial mismanagement, an affair partner, whatever the problem is out there that shocked and shattered you right now, you're on the ground taken by an ambulance 
And it's not about fixing the problem. It's about fixing you in order for you to have the capacity to decide what you want to do about fixing the problem. So what do you need right now? You need a safe place to do some healing. Yeah. And just like you said, I love that analogy about the ambulance. I I use that often. And I want to just, you know, speak my heart to those that are listening right now. I've had so many people just kind of almost breathe a sigh of relief when I use a similar analogy saying, I'm lying. Someone just hit me. It's usually your husband if we're talking about this type of sexual betrayal. Someone just hit me with a car and I am just laid out on the road, bleeding to death. And then sometimes we hear of bystanders coming up and tending to the husband. Oh, they're there. Oh, he's such a nice guy. While you're laying there bleeding and needing first aid. Or you even take it upon yourself. Like you said, Leslie, some women's instinct is to go and, well, what can I do to fix this? Or what can I do to help him? Or do I need to forgive right away? You're bleeding. You need first aid right now. You need triage. We'll deal with him later. Yes, but (laughs) right now you need that triage. And then as we fast forward through that healing journey, I also want to speak to the hearts of those that have either been confused as to what they have a right to for their own healing, or maybe dare I say a little bit bitter and angry that they have to do that work. Because again, I liken it to that driver, call it a drunk driver, even that's hit you. Are they to blame? Absolutely. hundred million percent. But There's no amount of blame or court cases or jail time that is going to change the work you have to do while you're lying in that hospital bed, taking the vitamins you need, getting the IVs, doing the strengthening exercises to get up and walk out of that hospital. Is it fair? No, but you have to do the work to heal. And it's the same thing here. It's doing what you need to care for yourself. It's doing what you need to heal. And then ultimately what you need to be safe. And this is really important because we don't know whether your marriage will make it or not. Mm-hmm. You don't know that right now. And maybe you don't even care, but maybe you care way too much and you're clinging and you're scared that your marriage might not make it. Mm-hmm. But it's really important that you honor yourself and the impact this has had on you because chances are the person who did it to you won't. Chances are that even the church or the Christian council that you might go to might not. They tend to rush reconciliation because separation or saying, hey, I don't even know who this person is anymore. I don't want to be around him. I'm afraid of him. It's like, you're just reacting. You're overreacting. Mm. This happens to lots of couples. This can be, you know, we can work on this. We can make this happen. And I'm not saying they mean to be insensitive, but they are. And, and, If someone was a drunk driver and they did crash into you and you were flat on your back and you did need to go to the hospital in intensive care, if that drunk driver was truly repentant over what they did, they would definitely admit what they did. They would definitely pay for your hospital bills and any other amends that they could possibly make for the damage they caused you. Oftentimes we see in this situation excuse making, blame shifting, rationalization, and last resort, why do you keep trying to make me feel bad? You're just rubbing my nose in it all the time. And you're not trying to make them feel bad. You're trying to get them to understand how bad you feel and the impact that what they did cost you. Mm -hmm. And I'll add to that, those common things we hear or experience is I, I already said, I'm sorry, or why aren't you over this already? And 
those types of things are just, they can be so cutting because we do start to doubt ourselves, maybe our, our faith, our upbringing in the church, you know, that we do need to forgive and oh my gosh now I'm not forgiving am I not being obedient to God that will often get thrown in our faces too is well you just need to forgive me when it's said with um, defensiveness with uh, aggression without that heartfelt change any of those things that you mentioned or I just said you know Leslie that's and it it's just awful and it just adds to the wounds that we're already experiencing but that's also a sign that repentance isn't there yeah, it's a huge sign. And so if you're listening right now and you've been betrayed and the person who betrayed you, whether it's a parent or whether it's a sibling or whether it's a spouse or an adult child, and they're putting it on you to get over it and fix the relationship and somehow you're overreacting, think again, think again. Again, if someone crashed into you with their car and they said, Hey, I'm so glad you're a Christian. Love doesn't cover love covers a multitude of sins. Love doesn't keep a record of wrong. So get over it. Forgive me. That's what you have to do. And I'm going to drive off and just leave you with a broken car. Yeah. That's what this kind of counsel looks like in a physical sense. And nobody in their right mind, Christian, conservative Christian, would think that's good or right. And yet sometimes in a marriage, we become so focused on the sanctity of marriage and the marriage is important but not more important than the individuals and their mental health and their restoration to health just like if you were in intensive care no one would expect you to have sex with your husband right because you're injured you're injured but when we're injured emotionally somehow we're supposed to put that on the shelf and still meet his needs and still make sure he's okay and maybe he needs to learn to make sure he's okay in new ways instead of acting out in the ways that he does, he has betrayed you. Yeah, you're right. He has been taking care of his needs just in a, you know, in an unbiblical or selfish sort of way. And you're right. We all have to perhaps show up differently when, when this happens, maybe both parties. And I'm not saying that to suggest there's something wrong with you, the listener that's been betrayed. It's just, we may have to start having those boundaries maybe having self-care, being able to look at that, being able to stand up for our rights, really listening to our gut instincts. To me, this can sometimes be a blessing in disguise. And as I describe it from my own personal um, story, that this is the last thing I'd ever wish on my worst enemy. And yet the very best thing that could have ever happened to me. Why? Because well, my, when I look back at my life, I mean, I would like to think I was being authentic, but I was like Martha Stewart on steroids. So I cared more about how clean my house was and how tidy everything was about you coming over, Leslie, than maybe the heartfelt conversations we could have over coffee and my messy hair. I wasn't a vain person or, or I didn't have a lot of materialistic things. But to me, that was just more important. And I really look back now and my intimacy level with other women even was disconnected. And this brought me to my own level of humility that no matter how clean my house is, no matter what I thought I was controlling and, you know, everything looks perfect on the outside, did not stop my husband for what he was doing. And so it brought me to a whole other level of humility that I love because God helped me rise to that. What started out as a faith of desperation with God and reaching out to him, then very quickly turned to a faith of surrender. And my love relationship with God just exploded from there. So how can you ever regret that? 
right? But that's my story. And, you know, we're fast forwarding 11 years. Not that it's taken me that long to get here, but I'm sensitive to those that are just experiencing this now. Um, you may be very much in that trauma fog and not know where to turn. And Leslie, before I forget, I do want to mention one thing, because you reminded me of this a few minutes ago. Yes, we want your safety to be first and foremost, and assuming your physical safety is taken care of right now. I also want listeners to know that it's okay not making a decision right now is still a decision you don't have to decide right now if it's right to leave or right to stay boundaries can be you know we always say we want them to be firm but flexible that you have the right to change your mind as you're going through some of these very very difficult emotions and as we use the file cabinet analogy you are picking up these pieces of paper one by one and reevaluating where they go back that takes time your work to heal and time is what's going to re reveal the right decisions for you. That said, if your safety's at risk, we want you to make, you know, maybe quicker decisions for that purpose. But other ones I want women to feel like if they're still struggling right now about what to do with the marriage versus them, that's okay too. We're here as coaches. We meet you where you're at and we help guide you along that your own journey at your own pace. And so I just want people to know that my heart is with them. And I understand that sometimes we just can't see the forest for the trees right now from that trauma fog. Okay. So let's say there's someone in the audience and she's saying, that's me. That's me. What would be my first step? I don't have an emotional ambulance taker to take me to the hospital. I don't, you know, what is my very first step to take care of me? Yeah. Besides the self-care that you can do starting right now, this minute, it's a deep breath. It's a prayer right up to whatever it is you need to do to make sure you have proper intake, proper sleep, all of those basic needs. I would, the next thing I would say is find that safe, trusted person, preferably another female. It could be a pastoral helper. It could be a professional helper. It could be a friend, a sister, somebody that is very trusting and willing not to pass judgment on your heart. Because when we're first experiencing this, I think the greatest need we probably have outside of those physical things I mentioned in our safety is validation, acknowledgement, just love and support that empathy, someone getting down in the pit with us as Brene Brown describes it, right? It's not sympathy where someone's reaching down, trying to give you a hand up. It's jumping into the pit and just being there with you. Sometimes that that's all we, yeah, we need that more than anything. And that can only come from a safe person that knows how and is equipped to be empathetic to you at that time. You know, it's, it's sort of like if someone hit your child with a car and you were frantic and scared and overwhelmed and sobbing and cursing or whatever you were doing, mm -hmm. no one would come up to you and say, well, you shouldn't act that way. That's not what a good Christian does. They would jump in the pit with you and validate you have every right to be angry and they wouldn't criticize how you're expressing your anger in that moment you're just vomiting and when you're vomiting you want someone to rub your back and give you a tissue not say "Ooh, you got some vomit on my shoe you know and so if you're and clean that up and clean it up yeah <laughs> so you're vomiting out all these emotions you need someone who has the capacity to just like job's friends at the beginning of his trauma he sat, they sat with him and they said not a word for two weeks. Then they started talking and really messed things up. But, yeah. but for the beginning, they did a good job at just 
validating his trauma. He lost a lot. Mm -hmm. And so you need someone and don't feel like you have to sanitize that for them. And if they can't handle it, then that's not the right person. And so one of the things that there's so many different support groups now for women who have been betrayed in betrayal trauma, because they do know what it's like. They've been hit by a car too. They do know what it feels like. They've been feeling sick and vomiting their guts out too. And so they're more likely to understand in a compassionate and kind way to give you that space to just get it out, sob your heart out, get your anger out on the table so that you can look at it. Yeah, absolutely. And to add, of course, we've already mentioned this, but to not feel like you're going crazy. You know, sometimes having that somewhat objective ear because they're not right in the throes of it with you and so still empathetic, but able to see it from the outside looking in, they can sometimes give you some of, you know, the biggest pointers that maybe see some blind spots and share those lovingly with you. Again, not to suggest there's anything wrong with you, but just when you're in that trauma fog, you, you need that trusted, safe person to just release that on before you can really start doing what you need to do next, the healing work, the decision-making, whatever it is that you feel like you need to do at that time. That's what I find is one of the biggest challenges, Leslie, is not vomiting all over everybody because not everyone's going to be a safe person and they may throw that vomit right back on you. Uh, the other analogy I use is this isn't, although it feels like it, this is not the same as a physical death. In the sense where you put an announcement in the paper, the church messages go out, your husband has just passed tragically and awfully and whatever you've got. I don't know about your church, but I would have a lineup at my door with casseroles to what we do <laughs> as church people. Right. And we do prayers and we do whatever. This is often uh, a betrayal. This is often a trauma kept in secret. The woman doesn't know. She feels ashamed sometimes. Old school thinking is, well, she must have done something wrong if, if he's sleeping around all of that sort of stuff that keeps us in isolation. And you don't put out the obituary notice to say this happened to me. And even if you do have a great circle of support, they don't know to come and help you do your laundry. Maybe that's what you need. You just need someone to look after the kids for half an hour so you can finally take that shower you haven't felt like taking for a week. They don't know to do that. They don't know that you might need a casserole to be fed. It's just not the same type of grief, yet it very much feels the same way. I've had women say to me more than once, it would be easier if he had died. Not that they were wishing that upon him, please hear my heart, but they say it would be easier if he had died, both because they would have a finality to the pain and would start to be able to heal from it, but also because of the lack of support that they have when it's this kind of just upheaval in their life versus a physical death. And so it's finding those trusted people that can really help nurture you during this very difficult time. You know, during this time, especially if the marriage is shaky, I think a woman starts to feel not only, I mean, she's unglued because of what she found out, but she starts to feel like I've got to fix this so I don't feel so shaky about my future. Mm -hmm. So instead of fixing me herself, mm -hmm. she's trying to fix the marriage so it doesn't break. And what's that phrase that we use about the bird developing her wings instead of oh, fixing the branch? Yes, it's but something that something <laughs> I should know this off my heart because I use it all the time. It's about the the something about the bird doesn't have faith in the branch at which it's sitting on. It has faith in its own wings to fly if the branch breaks, something along those lines. So it really is, um, Leslie, you and I are all about empowering women in whatever 
things they're facing. And this is very much an opportunity for that, that we're no longer in a healthy way, okay, dependent on our spouse for our well-being or the marriage in order for us to feel like we're okay. We may have put everything we've had into marriage. And I've had a lot of women kind of come to the realization they were using that as their idol. Right. And, and God love them for coming to that realization, because I think all those years we think we're doing the right thing. Right. We're pouring into this relationship that God gave us. And yet we can sometimes realize that maybe we were what doing that at the expense of something else, maybe worshiping God more, maybe taking care of ourselves more. And so the natural instinct, I think I find in women is for a variety of reasons, um, it's her own need for safety. I think when we see control issues, for those listening, I'm doing air quotes, <laughs> um, for those that may be called, you know, controlling or something like that is born out of a need for safety. Let's just call it out. And it does surface in different ways. And so women may be well-intended, or maybe it is just a flat-out manipulation. I need him to watch this, you know, video. I need him to go to our pastor. I need him to confess to his mother um, in order for me to be okay. That is understandable because we are desperate and we are trying to think if he gets fixed, then my life will be okay. And what I do find too is if resources are limited both mental and physical, but financial. A lot of times I find my partners or my clients don't find me or choose to reach out to me until much later in their journey because they think any of the resources they have must be thrown at him. So if we're going to have to pay for therapy or something, it's got to go to him. If we have to pay for books and videos, it's got to go towards healing him. And then they realize that no matter what he's doing, whether he's doing really well at his recovery or not, she'll, she will come to a realization at some point that I'm worth it too. I'm worth the money. I'm worth the time. I'm worth the love. I'm worth the um, effort to connect with other people to help me through this. And I, I'm finding people, women are getting smarter, Leslie. They really are knowing that they need that help sooner, but that's part of how we can throw ourselves into the problem rather than looking as I love how you, I love this phrase that you gave me is what's my problem with that problem or what's my problem with his problem because it puts it on something I can control I can deal with that is much more empowering than relying on somebody else to heal and do the hard work what yeah. if he relapses right and Where are you gonna be <laughs> and maybe he really doesn't even want to do the work and yeah. you're spending all this money kind of guilt tripping him into doing work that he doesn't really want to do, but he'll go through the motions to calm mm -hmm. you down so that he doesn't lose everything. He doesn't want to lose his 401k. He doesn't want to lose his house. He doesn't want to lose his right. children. Um, he may not be all that invested in repairing the marriage um, or healing himself. Why would he? We all have needs. We all have needs, a need for affirmation, a need for safety, a need for um, comfort. But the places he's going to meet those needs are unhealthy for him and they're definitely destructive to your relationship and so he's not willing to change that at least internally he may externally look like he is and so that's why putting all your eggs in his change basket is really dangerous because yeah. what if he doesn't change or what if he stops changing or what if he fakes changing you don't know him anymore you don't really know him anymore so it behooves you to say hey how do I get strong enough that I don't need with a big old capital N-E-E-D him right. in my life in order for me 
to be okay. That doesn't mean I, I love my husband. I've been married 47 years and I need him for certain things, but I'm perfectly capable of doing what he does for me or getting someone else to do it if something were to happen to him. So it's not like I need him in order for me to be okay. I want him in my yes. life. And that's a different picture of marriage. I want this person in my life, that they add value to my life, not that they take care of me and I can't take care of me myself. And so if that's you and you're listening to this, your work, your work is to heal. And then like Jen said, grow so that if he betrays you again, if you decide to stay with him or Someone else betrays you. Life is hard. People betray Jesus. It's not just in marriage that people get betrayed. Right. That you know how to handle yourself. And it's not as scary and devastating as if you are totally dependent on that person for your well-being. Yeah. Thank you. Because that branch could break at any moment. So when we're talking more specifically about problematic sexual behavior, we've got some of the best guys out there. I know I've met them that have gone through all the work of not only the checkboxes that you you know mentioned, but it's turned into real heart change, that internal motivation as opposed to the external um, pressure um, that we call motivation. And <laughs> I am the last one to ever say that relapse is a part of recovery because I don't believe that. So anyone listening that's heard that, eh, that's not true, but relapse do happen. Okay. They do relapses do happen. So if you haven't done the work to heal and secure yourself and get your wings strong so that if his relapse, AKA the branch breaks, you're going to be okay. Is it going to suck? <laughs> Absolutely. It's terrible but you've got a plan in place and you are much stronger than you ever were before to be able to handle it, to love yourself through it, to not be maybe as traumatized as the first time you are not going to be taken off guard. doesn't mean you're living guarded anymore for the rest of your life. You can put your faith in God and you can create your safety plan, emotional or otherwise financial, uh, physical and plan for it. As Lisa Turker says, remember we plan in times of strength for times of struggle. And that's what I always called my emergency planning portfolio as a nurse back in the day for home care. And I would plan all these worst case scenarios, do a tabletop exercise with all the vested parties and then put it in a binder and stick it on the shelf. I didn't have to worry day to day about what I would do if and when that happened. If it did, awful, I'd pull it down off the shelf and I'd go, okay, we said we'd do all these things. Similar to that, we want to do our work. We want to get closer to God. We want to find those trusted people. We want to have the confidence that I'm in a position to want you, not need you. And one of the things that you said, Jen, that I'm just going to circle back to for our listeners is that you said the worst thing actually became the best thing. And when you come to a place, because it forced me to move out of Miss Perfect Christian and into a more authentic, real person. Mm -hmm. And so I think when we have those experiences, when we have post-traumatic growth, when we understand ourselves better, that we are a better version of ourselves, not in spite of, but because of, we're not as afraid. We're not as afraid of the future because we do trust God in that Bible verse where he says he causes all things to work out for our good. Mm -hmm. And our good is our growth, not necessarily our marital happiness or our material happiness, but for our good. And you're saying that this terrible betrayal trauma worked for not only your good, but, but for your husband's good and mm -hmm. for your marriage's good. Mm -hmm. It was an awful thing to go through, but as you both submitted to God and worked your program and your plan and your healing and your marital healing, 
Yeah. There was positive, better results from that. And so that doesn't always happen because somebody else in the marriage isn't willing to do that kind of work, That's right. but you're one part of that. And you can still do your own work to get healthier and stronger so that when life is hard, when the unexpected happens, mm-hmm. when people let you down or betray you like Jesus, it hurts. It hurt him that Judas betrayed him. I'm sure it did, but it didn't derail him. That's right. That's right. I love that. And I love too, that you've pointed out that we don't know the outcome and part of releasing some of that fear is detaching from the outcome. Right. So I am blessed that my husband chose to do the work that he did. And I can't deny that that didn't help my healing journey along the way, because I didn't have to just even focus on protecting myself from that anymore. But I did me, Leslie, I really did. And so that's why, as I'm saying, I encourage everyone to do your own healing, do your own. I I hesitate to even call it work, Leslie, because I think a lot of times as we are in these situations, whether we've known about them for years or it suddenly just happened, that's draining energy. That's that breaking down energy that just exhausts us after a while, physically and mentally. The kind of work I'm talking about, maybe extra effort, maybe now you have to go spend an hour and a half a week in a support group or something, but it is building up energy. It doesn't feel like work. It's uplifting. It's connecting to God. So I hesitate to even use that word work (laughs) because it really does take you to a different place. So my story may be different than others, but I know, and my freedom from this came from, I know I'll be okay. Even if my marriage ends, I don't know what Sean might do in the future. I don't live there, but I'm not naive anymore. I used to be, I'm not anymore. And so, like I said, I've got plans in place and I will be okay. And that's all I want for any of our listeners is peace, no matter your circumstances. And as Leslie, as you put it, when one person changes the dance step, the whole dance changes. So we may not know what that dance is going to end up looking like, but if you do the work, you're going to be stronger and more powerful regardless. You know, one of the things that God tells us is that we are to mature, that we are to grow. And that doesn't stop when you're 20. You know, your physical growth stops, um, you know, in adolescence, at least upward. It might still grow outward. I was going to say it might spread out. (laughs) But, uh, But your physical growth changes, but your emotional, spiritual, mental growth should continue throughout your lifespan. If you are 40 and you're still thinking like a 20 year old and acting like a 20 year old, you're immature. If you're 60 and you're still acting like a 40 year old, you're immature. We see people who are trying to look and act like way below their age and people think they look weird. They're not acting their age. And that doesn't mean you need to act like an old person. But what I'm saying is as God matures us, we're to get wiser where to get stronger, where to get clear in the Lord. And so I love that you distinguished healing from growth. Mm-hmm. So let's say that you did get into that car accident and you're on the side of the road and you get into the hospital and as you're healing from all the physical injuries, you start really getting into seeing how it feels to exercise your body and to get stronger. And maybe you never exercised before. Mm -hmm. now it's not about healing it's about growth how can I get my body to be stronger how might I lose this extra weight so I don't have such a hard time walking around how can I increase my arm strength so that I can carry things longer and my balance so I don't easily fall over 
as I get older. And those things can be very exciting and not just draining. It's not anymore the healing. It's the growth spurt that's going to happen as a result of you surrendering to this happened to me for my good. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, it's not a good thing, but this happened to me for my good. Mm-hmm. And so God, I'm going to trust you that I am going to get stronger and wiser and healthier because I've gone through this. But that requires one thing from you, your consent. Because God never makes you grow spiritually right. if you don't want to. Just like you can't make your husband grow. As much as you want him to, he might be a 45-year-old man trying to act like a 30-year-old man or an 18-year-old boy. He's going to say lower that number. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> an 18-year-old boy or a 14-year-old boy. And yeah. you can't make him. All you can do is invite him as Jesus invited people. But you can't make him. And so for you to spend your precious energy trying to make him grow is a waste of your time. Instead, turn that energy on yourself to grow so that if he chooses not to, that makes it clear for you on what your next steps might need to be. Mm -hmm. I love that. And you mentioned this term um, a few moments ago, post-traumatic growth. And so my background is through APSATS, for those that are familiar with that organization. And um, our, our model there, as I mentioned, my mentor, Barb Steffens, is the one that did the research on that, um, taken from Judith Herman's work. But it, it's basically the three phases as you walk through betrayal trauma and that progression. It starts off, as we've already mentioned, safety and stabilization. You can't do anything else until you have that foundation. And then you can be in any one of these phases at any time. But if you were looking at it more linear, you then move into more of the grieving. The, that's maybe where more therapy is involved and less coaching at that point, because you really are looking in the past and how did I get here and the grief of what you're experiencing. But that last phase is that what we call post-traumatic growth. But the other word for that is connection. Connection to self, connection to others, connection to God. And I don't know why it took me all of my 50 years and a Bible class that I'm taking, a Bible college course I'm taking right now. But when we, I've heard this for, uh, the scripture forever, perfect love casts out all fear. It was just revealed to me through this course that as we grow in our relationship with God and have that deeper connection with him through scripture, through prayer time, through meditation, you get to know him on a much more intimate level. And just like we do with other human beings, the deeper we're vulnerable and the more intimate we get connected to that other person, there's less fear. And that's when you have that relationship and that perfect love that you strive to have with God, it casts out all fear. And without that fear, we're free. We're free to make choices for ourselves. We're free to stay married if we want to, not out of force or coercion or fear of his, you know, losing his 401k or sharing custody with the kids. You get choices now. And that to me is the best thing through God, through connection with others and connection with myself or yourself. Thanks, Jen, for that. This is our podcast, Relationship Truth Unfiltered, our relationship or our connection with God, our connection with others and our relationship with others and what goes wrong there, and our connection with ourselves. And so I'd like to just close, Jen, with this idea that for a Christian woman in a conservative setting, Mm -hmm. connection with self is a complete blank because they've never been taught to value themselves or connect with themselves. They've been taught to die to themselves. Yes. And don't think of themselves. 
They use the verses in scripture as proof texts that it's selfish to think of yourself. But the, the verses that we're talking about, Philippians, for example, do not look only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Understand that word only. <laughs> you know, you're to look to your yeah. interests, not only to your own interests. Don't be selfish, in other words, but right. you need to look to your interests. And dying to yourself doesn't mean becoming nothing. It means dying to your immaturity. You have to let go of your immaturity in order to gain your maturity. So as a child, for example, let's go of pooping in their pants so that they can learn to go on the toilet so that they can go to school. Yes. They're growing, they're transforming in order to transform like a seed has to let go of the shell and stop yes. becoming a seed in order to become the tree, the flower, the cucumber, the watermelon, the rose that God created it to be. So again, we've misused these scriptures in a oppressive kind of way that have kept women stuck and small and silent. And I'm not sure it was intentional, but it's certainly had its impact. So when we talk about self-care and taking care of yourself, take a look in the book of Proverbs yes. and look at how much it talks about having self-awareness and self-control and self-discipline so that you can self-correct yourself. Well, who does all this self-work if you're not paying attention to your connection with yourself? Mm -hmm. And being good stewards, God gave us these gifts so that we can be good stewards. And, you know, as we often hear, it's like putting the oxygen mask on yourself before you're able to help others. So if you have to reframe it like that too, if you're worried about your kids or you're worried about someone else in your circle right now, looking after yourself is actually a loving thing to do so that you can love on others. Um, because you're no good to yourself if you're uh, not sleeping, not eating, not nurturing your your well-being emotionally or otherwise. So I I know, Leslie, you and I could talk all day about boundaries and self-care, but it's a really important message for us to leave everybody with because if they hear nothing else from today, I really want them to take away that it's okay. Look after yourself. It's not selfish. It's loving. Yeah. And really, it's so important. It's so important because when we talk about loving others, when we don't, when, when the Lord tells us to love others as you love yourself, that's taking care of yourself, being responsible for yourself, who mm -hmm. stewards that, who takes every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, if you don't, who guards your heart above all else, mm -hmm. if you don't. And so when you do that work that we're talking about, guess what? It enables you, it empowers you to freely love. When you don't do your work, what looks like love on the surface is ruled by fear. I'm afraid you'll be mad at me. I'm afraid you'll leave me. I'm afraid God will be mad at me. I'm afraid that you won't like me if I don't do this. And so that's not real love at all. That's need-based love, not free-based love. And so you have to do your work in order to have the wisdom to know how to love well, especially in these kind of situations, because sometimes love is tough and says, no, or has a boundary, not because you're being cruel, but because you love them and you're loving them in freedom and that you're not worrying about how they're going to be mad at you for saying no. And that's where the strength to form boundaries comes. We could go on and on. Oh, yeah. But I hope listeners, you found this podcast helpful. If you have been betrayed in any way, understand that God knows how you feel. He's been betrayed too. You have a loving Heavenly Father, and an advocate in the Holy Spirit who can comfort you in your pain. And you have sisters 
in this world who have been through what you've been through, please don't do this in isolation. Connect with others. Any final words, Jen? Oh, just love it. Reach out. Don't let this be an isolating event. We know shame thrives in the darkness, thrives in secrecy. Please, as whatever you can do to step out of that with a safe person or a trusted professional, you owe it to yourself. You owe it to the rest of your life and to your heart to be able to take those steps. I strongly encourage you and I will pray for you and every listener that's out there experiencing anything close to this. Can you do that right now? Yes, I would love to. I would love to. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the gift of Leslie in this podcast. Um, In order to surface what maybe your heart is, and I pray that we've been able to speak some of the truth that you have revealed to us through your word, and that I lift up every single listener here, whether they be the, maybe they're the betrayer or the betrayed, because we know that ultimately we want to connect with you, Father. And that we ask that you heal all hearts that are out there, that you create a level of safety, both emotionally, spiritually, and physically for everyone that's listening right now, that you allow us to step out of isolation. And in the name of Jesus, I cast out the enemy that um, that is binding us and keeping us fearful. Father, I want you to just unleash those shackles from us and allow us to step up into the freedom that you give us, that we have that free will to choose you, to choose freedom, to choose that loving well. And I pray this in your holy name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Thanks, Leslie. Well, that's all for this episode of Relationship Truth Unfiltered. Thank you so much for listening. Go to lesliewernick.com for more resources. If this show was helpful, please subscribe and share, and we would love your honest rating and review. Until next time, may God bless your relationships with him, with yourself, and with others.